Welcome to the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast, brought to you by GuitarZoom.com. If you want to improve your guitar playing, keep listening. If you want to improve even faster, go to GuitarZoom.com, where you'll find all of Steve's premium courses, masterclasses, and memberships that'll help you quickly and easily improve your playing. Now, here's your host, Steve Stein. Hey, everybody, this is Steve Stein. Welcome to the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast. And today I have with me a buddy of mine. His name is David Walliman. If you know anything about Dave, Dave is an amazing teacher, amazing guitar player, but most importantly, an amazing dude. So how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Steve. So good to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I've known Dane for a few years now, but there's some things I don't know about him. So this morning I was doing some research trying to find some things. And it was funny because you've been at this online game for quite a while too. We're going to get more into that, but can you tell me when did you first start dabbling with the online thing? I think I started about maybe 12 years ago. I started taking it seriously. It all started with YouTube, really. And I'm sure we're going to dig into that. But this transition phase between doing some YouTube content and then teaching online on Skype, that is entryway, teaching one-on-one online. And then I fell into the YouTube game, which we're still playing today. Yeah, it's nice that we're both still here for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I was doing some research, just a quick story on what I was doing, and I don't know if this is the same thing, this is why I wanted to bring this up, is I got to a point in my life where I was so busy with lessons and bands and teaching that I was losing my mind. I had no free time. My marriage was falling apart. And I had this thought in my mind, man, if I could go online and start teaching 20 students per hour versus one student per half hour or something like that, I could actually make money and have a little bit of free time. Because I knew nothing about marketing. I didn't study marketing. I kind of fell into this whole thing. So what I did was I just started putting my name on every website I could possibly find. Anything that had to do with teaching, I can't remember exactly, but it would have been in the 2000s that I would have been doing this. And so I would just sign up for anything I could. And again, my thought was I might get a guitar student from this website or might teach a class from this website. I signed up for everything. And when I started doing some research on your name, you're all over the place. So did you do something similar to that? It's so interesting because your story is my story. That's exactly how it was. I was getting burned out on teaching kids. I mean, just teaching one-on-one is so draining sometimes. And so, yeah, I wanted a way out, but I still wanted to teach knowing that I love doing it. So I started with, I think, MySpace. I had a MySpace thing. That was pre-Facebook. And then Facebook came out, and then it was this exclusive thing for universities at the time. And my wife had a Facebook account because she was a university student from her school. I was like, man, this Facebook thing sounds cool. Maybe there's something to it. And I tried to hack my way through. I didn't go to college here in the States. Anyways, all that to date a little bit our story that is pre-Facebook and pre-all that and very similar to you. I wanted to put my name out there and I didn't know what it would look like. I still don't to this day. (laughs) But yeah, it's very similar. I mean, again, let's be honest. You and I are just regular people and we're blessed to be able to do what we do. So who thought back in the day that anybody would give a crap about the name, right? I never thought anything about Steve Stein. I never tried to brand anything. I still have the same email I've had forever. And like websites, I never tried to get stevestein.com. We own it now, but for years, it never even occurred to me that somebody would ever do a web search for Steve Stein. So one thing I would say is if anybody out there, if you're listening or watching and you're planning on doing something that utilizes your name, what I would definitely do is you know, get like the website that your name, you know, buy some of those sorts of things and not from a vanity standpoint, just to be careful because you just never know what would happen. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. So let's move on to that a little bit. So David, again, is an amazing dude. He's an amazing guitar player. He's a great teacher and he's got websites I've got, if I'm looking over on the side, it's because I'm looking at my notes here, but so you've got davidwalleman.com, which is where people can contact you. And we'll talk about this at the end too, but That's where everybody can get a hold of you for all sorts of things, right? I mean, if they want to hire you to do any kind of production or those sorts of things. Do you still have guitar playback? Yeah, that's the main thing, really. Yep, guitar playback, yep. So guitar playback is where all your guitar lessons and stuff are. And David Walliman's more just you as a person and that they can hire you for. That makes sense. And again, for anybody out there, David Walliman, Walliman is W-A-L-L-I-M-A-N-N. I do know how to spell it. But it took me a little while when I first met him. And then, of course, you've got your YouTube channel. You've got a bunch of music on Spotify. 
different kinds of things like that. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting too. You've done work with jam playing and true fire and even guitar masterclass, which I love guitar masterclass. I love all the flurry of little ideas that they have over at that website. And Chris is a super cool guy. So I was interested to see that you had done work over there in the past. The other one I was going to mention is guitar control, which I remember back in the day, some stuff about guitar control. And I'm sure there's probably a dozen other ones. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah. So tell me, before you started getting your own thing going, you were sort of just freelancing with that stuff or what? Yeah. So once I got my foot into the online thing doing Skype, I quickly realized that really I hadn't changed anything. I was still getting burned out. The only difference was that now there was a camera in between me and the student. And so I was in the process of trying to figure out how can I do what you mentioned earlier? How can I teach once to 20 students at the same time, which eventually became online courses, which I didn't know it existed at the time. But during that transition phase where I was trying to figure things out, trying to get some kind of traction, getting more students and all that, I realized that money was an issue. So I needed to do something to pay the bills, because getting students online was a whole different thing now. It was different than putting your sticker on a coffee shop and local guitar lessons. And so that's how I discovered that there was this thing. There were these websites teaching people how to play guitar online. And I reached out to the first one I knew or I found, which was GMC, guitarmasterclass.net. That was my first step into online courses. So I emailed the owners, met Chris, Chris Dahl from GMC, and I worked for them for maybe six years or so. And that was great because I learned so much about video production, about all those things. And the thing with that website is that they give you tons of freedom as far as what you want to put out there. You create your videos, you edit everything. So in one way, it is very difficult. But now looking back, I see it as a massive blessing because I was able to learn so many things that I use every day now. And eventually, I think GMC grew and I was looking for something different. I can't remember why. No problem from GMC, just something different. And I moved to Colorado from Tennessee about 11 years ago. And the thing with GMC was wasn't working anymore. So I was looking for something else. I just Googled online guitar lessons and I found Jamplay. And I emailed Jamplay, I think the day after we moved to Colorado. Hey, I've been working with GMC for a while. I'm looking for something else. Are you guys looking for a teacher? They weren't, but they read in my email that I had just moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. Well, that's where GMC Jamplay is based. I had no idea. They're based right here. And so that got me into the door to Jamplay. And then through that, I met the guys at TrueFire. So I have a catalog of places I've worked with in the past and that allowed me to make the transition to do my own thing, guitarplayback.com. Right. Very cool. That's awesome. It's funny because when I first started trying to do this online thing, it was the same thing. You were just swapping online lessons, physical lessons. And then my first big break was with a company called Lesson Face, which I still talk to Claire over at Lesson Face. They're out of New York. They were just getting started and they wanted to do classes. Don't get me wrong. I love one-on-one -on -one lessons. But like you said, I was just burned out. I'm 51 now, and I'd been doing it since I was 17, and I just saw no way out. You just teach and work until there are no more hours in the day. And so she was like, well, we'd love to do a class with you. We open it up to anybody around the world, and they can take the class, and we would do one like Saturday morning. And again, like you said, this is in the early days of the internet, so speeds were not like they are now. So there was always issues with, so that was my first class, is I did a class with, I don't even know, 20, 30 people in it. And it was just amazing. But I remember there was nonstop problems with latency and blurring out. And then all of a sudden the, the screen would go blank and all those things that we don't deal with as much anymore. But that's where it started for me too. And again, I don't know in the early 2000s how many of those other companies were around by then, but I, it never even struck my mind to work with a company like Jamplay or something where now I know a lot of people from all those companies and, and we get along great, which is awesome. So it's just interesting how much stuff is out there. And I always tell people, People, the beauty of this stuff, you think of David and myself, a lot of people would look as adversaries or something. And something I learned in college that I was thought was interesting is I remember having a teacher that said, do you know why there are gas stations on all four corners at the same stoplight? And I'm like, they're trying to outdo each other. And you're like, that's not what it is at all. They're actually supporting each other because if one is busy, everybody will go to the other one. And so everybody sustains each other. It's like shoe stores in a mall. And so I've always thought about it that way. Like as long as you're creating content that people are connecting to, it doesn't matter whether they're connecting to you as long as in the long run, people are happy. Yeah, it serves everyone. The user, the viewer, the creator is like, a, it's a happier world when we share and get along for sure. That's right. 
So right now, before we get into everything, I want to ask you, we're coming to a close on 2021 here, and you live in Fort Collins, is that right? Yep, Fort Collins, Colorado. So right now, we just had a pseudo blizzard last night, and so schools were running late today. Everything is glare ice outside because it was actually kind of nice. So what do you do when you're not playing guitar? Because your weather is relatively nice there, isn't it? It gets cold, but it's very sunny. So yes. So what do you like to do when you're not playing guitar with your family or do you do sports or what do you like to do? I got into CrossFit and sports a couple of years ago. Prior to that, I was not, I would never have thought that I would be an athletic type of guy, but I love it now. So I'm into that. I love board games too. Oh, nice. So my kids are at an age, they're five and seven, where we're kind of getting into more interesting games. You know, shoots and ladders is fine, but yeah, candy land shoots and ladders is fine for a couple of times. So that's cool. They like it too. So I love games, family games and strategy games. And I like video games too. It seems like every guitar player I know likes video games, but just typical stuff, nothing really out of the ordinary. I'm a very typical guy. <laughs> I have to avoid video games because I have this obsessive compulsive nature. So when I start, I can't stop. And then it consumes too much of my time. I get it. I go in phases. Every once in a while, I'll go deep in. I'm going to return the question because I'm very curious. What about you? Well, to be honest, for many years, I was obsessed with guitar. All I did was play and all I did was practice. And then I was explain it like this. There was a time in my life, and I can't remember exactly when, but I know that there was a time in my life where my technique and my abilities were like at the top of this pyramid. Like I was as, as good as I'm ever going to get. I was there, but I never had a life. You know what I mean? Like I was always playing all the time. And I don't know if this is like this for you, but I realized if I didn't practice all the time and I just practiced a nominal amount because you spend your whole life trying to learn how to do stuff and all of a sudden that pyramid is only reaching this far, I had a life. I could do stuff with my wife or do something with my kids or get together with friends and maybe this wasn't all the way up, but it wasn't enough to where anybody would notice and it wasn't enough to crush me as a guitar player. So that's where I started going, you know what? I don't have to play guitar all the time. I like to read. I spent literally years because I was always so busy. I never watched TV. And then all of a sudden, when I started working for Guitar Zoom, as a matter of fact, I started getting some free time. And not a lot. It's like, I don't like series really where I have to obligate myself every week to something, but just something that I watch here and there. I used to be a runner. I did marathons and things like that. And then I destroyed my big toes. I actually have uh, metal bars that run through my big toes right now because of the cartilage and everything was all shot in them. Because of running? Yeah. So I can't run anymore, but I certainly like to do a lot of walking and biking in the summer, things like that. And like you, I love board games. Like my wife and I just played Battleship a couple of nights ago and cards. I love playing cards. That's awesome. We'll have to get together sometime. Yeah. Are you going to Nam? by the way? I'm thinking about it. We'll see. I don't know. Are you? I don't know. I would love to go, but in the same respect, I would like to not go. So I don't know. I know. We'll see. Regardless, a board game is in the future for the Stein and Wallman family. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, that would be great. Okay, so now let's go back. We're going to go back to the beginning here. You were born in what country? I was born in France. Okay, you were born in France. So when you were young, if you had to think about it, what was your first experience with hearing music and having it like affect you and go, oh my gosh, what is this? Yeah, that's a great question. It happened really young. I can't remember exactly how old, but I'm sure it happened before what I'm going to share. But I remember I was about nine and I know it happened way before that. But I remember at nine just making up songs in my head and being fascinated with I didn't have the language, but being fascinated with harmony and harmonizing stuff and how one simple melodic line plus another one plus another one became something bigger. I didn't know it was chords or anything like that. I've always loved that. And I remember listening to songs, anything on the radio or whatever, and imagine a harmony on top of it. And then I remember being obsessed with this. I was like, once I'm going to understand this stuff and I'm going to do something that nobody has ever done, I'm going to take one melody and then I'm going to harmonize it. It will work because in my mind, I was like, yeah, well, harmony works. And then I'm going to harmonize that and that and that and that and that. And I'm going to go to infinity. Well, now I know that that's chaos, right? <laughs> but at the time, I was just so fascinating with almost classical piece approach. Because if you take a single line of a violin, something like that, it's pretty simple melodically. But if you hear the whole orchestra, that's rich and thick and all that. So I think that was my first experience. And I think that's why I love to this day. I fell into prog rock in my late teens, early 20s. And I think it's because of the richness of some of the prog rock really likes that blend of rock and classical music and 
Neil Morris is a guy that I refer to often. Love his music. Very orchestrated and lots of parts. It started so young. I remember at 10 thinking about that harmony thing, but it affected me in a way that was awesome. Sure. So did your parents or your siblings, with all of that, did, did anybody in your family play instruments? My mom plays piano. So she played piano at church. I remember growing up always, she was the pianist at church. She played a little guitar, which was my introduction to that because there was this old classical nylon string guitar and picked that up when I was probably 14, just trying a few things. But yeah, my mom was musical. I have four brothers and one sister. I'm the oldest and about half of them are musical and my dad is not. So from my mom's side, I got the bug. When I was growing up, my mom listened to, and again, I'm not sure exactly how old you are, but I think I'm a little older than you. I'm 45. When I was a kid, my mom used to listen to a lot of 50s music, doo-wop music, at-the-hop kinds of music. So I grew up with a lot of that sort of thing. And then my dad listened to a lot of the Beatles and the Stones and Led Zeppelin and Alice Cooper. And so I love to tell a story on Sundays when we would get home from church, my dad would always bring me in my room where I had a record player and he would bring his records in. And we would just sit for a couple hours on the floor and just listen to music. I think back both of my parents, but certainly those times I spent with my dad listening to that music and how impactful that was. What kind of stuff did you have in your house as far as music went? There were records, like vinyl records, Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, more on the acoustic side, really. And then there was also, we call it Variété Française, which is French pop music. But when I say pop, it's more a little older, not like the modern pop, but a lot of that. So more song-driven with modern instruments. But I think one thing that really attracted me to music, besides the harmony thing, was the story element too. I love stories. And so whether it's spoken lyrics or not, I always make up stories when I'm hearing something, which is another reason I guess I like Prague too, concept albums and things like that. But yeah, I grew up with some Beatles stuff. So was your first music experience singing then or did you start on an instrument? When did you start playing? And was it guitar or did you start on a different instrument? Yeah, I started singing my whole life, kind of sang. Not very good, but that was my first instrument. And then I think I played a little bit of piano because there's piano in our home. Nothing serious, just trying to experience what I had discovered at the young age, the harmony thing and just playing around. But that didn't last very long. Guitar came when I was about 14, 14 and a half with classical guitar that my mom had. And I learned a few Beatles songs, a few chords, open chords. And then it was Christmas 93. That's when I had my first electric guitar. And that's really what started my life as a musician, I think. What was that guitar? It was an Aria Pro 2 Maddox. And it came with a little amp. My first guitar was a Hondo. My buddy had an Aria Pro 2 and we started playing at the same time. So what were you going to say about your amp? I was going to say that guitar, I sold it probably four or five years after to get my first Ibanez. And I opened it up and I signed it thinking one day, maybe I'll be famous. I'll try to find it. <laughs> I'm still not famous, but I'd love to find it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. So somewhere in the south of France, someone has it probably. My first guitar, I don't have. My second guitar, I still have. But Here's another thing I would say to anybody out there, unless it's absolutely necessary, like you need to buy groceries for your family or something like that, you got to keep that first guitar because someday you're going to wish that you had it. I'm sure it was horrible. When I think about how it plays now with other stuff that I own, I'm sure it was terrible. It's special. Yeah, right. Okay. So when you started playing, did you take any lessons? Did you go to anybody? Did you just learn by ear? I started by ear. Ibanez, France, had this big national contest. And you had to tape yourself with an actual tape at the time, tape three songs, send them in. And I qualified. I was one of the five guys who got to do the finals. And how old were you at the time? I think I was 17. Okay, perfect. And I won a scholarship in this music school. So that was my first experience with lessons. So probably about three, four years after picking up the guitar. And I took a few lessons here and there. I always have this when I talk to people about being self-taught. I don't know if you've had this before, but I talked to some guys who, oh, you know, I've been self-taught and they either use this as an excuse or as something to glorify themselves. You know, I taught myself and I was like that too when I was a kid. I was like that, yo, I'm self-taught. And I used it either way. Like, you know, the reason I'm not doing this, I don't know, is because I'm self-taught or I'm self-taught. Check this out. I was arrogant when I was a kid. 
sometimes. I don't know why I'm saying that, but self-taught has teachers just different ways of learning it. But your teacher might be a book, a magazine, a video, a record. That's right. This is the conversation that comes up all the time, right? Is when you're learning. And I think for a lot of us, certainly for myself, the lessons that I had when I first started playing were not a good experience. And so I had a couple lessons when I first got a guitar to try and learn how to play, and it just did not go well. It very well could have been my fault because my perception of what I wanted to do and what the teacher was telling me, he could have been very much absolutely right, but I didn't see it that way. So it seems like a lot of us started by ear, which in retrospect was a really great thing because you develop a lot of sense of aural senses, color senses, different kinds of things like that, construct ideas, both in the music and on your fretboard, because you don't know what you're doing. You're just hearing things and you're visualizing how things move around the fretboard. But I will say this, because whenever people talk about being self-taught or whatever, you're absolutely right. You're never really self-taught because there's stuff around that's teaching you. But the truth is nobody's saying, hey, put your fingers here, which is absolutely true. But here's the deal. I could have learned so much more at that time had I had someone that looked at me and went, I see what you're trying to do, and I want to help you with that. Not, this is what the book says. This is what the book says. So this is what I got to do. But they would have looked at me and said, look, I know you're a rock guy or you're a metal kid and you want to play. So let me show you how this power chord thing works. And let me show you what you're actually doing here. And then you're going to realize that 70% of those Iron Maiden songs are all doing exactly the same thing. And that's what we do, right? So it's not that self-taught is bad, but to be able to have somebody walk in and go, I understand you're trying to make this stew, but if you added this spice or you did this, it would bring this whole thing together. And you look at it and go, I didn't even know that spice existed. Yeah, definitely. I think in the end, a good teacher is great, but a good teacher is never going to make a great student. That's right. And I think really the one thing that I really got from being self-taught, quote unquote, for those of you not looking, I'm doing the quotes. <laughs> I think it's a curiosity, being curious and not giving up until you have a satisfying answer. That's really what got me and, and you and all the musicians I know where they are now is not where it will be tomorrow because there's always that curiosity. And I think that's the most important thing. And you're right. I'm sure you're probably like me where there's probably not a day that goes by that I'm not on social media, on YouTube, on whatever, looking for something to fill a crack. Like I'm learning how to do something and I want something. So I'll go watch a Dave. David Wallman video, or I'll watch or whatever to try and fill in that space. It has nothing to do with I can't or whatever. I want a different perspective. And I don't need a different perspective on the entire journey. I've been playing long enough to where I have a path sort of laid out, but that doesn't mean that there isn't space for great ideas. Just like you say, prog metal or prog rock with whether it's Porcupine Tree or Stephen Wilson or Neil Morse mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, all of these bands and you listen to it and you go, oh, I never thought about how you could move from that idea to that idea. That's the fun of this whole thing is that once you get your legs as a guitar player, you can go all kinds of different places. And that's one thing that I've always thought was really great about Guitar Masterclass. I don't know. I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for that place because There's so many different lessons on there from different people. And it's just this big random thing that you can almost spin the wheel and go, oh, there's one. There's a little idea there. So now you got your guitar. You did this Ibanez thing. Are there bands coming up here? Do you start playing in bands at some point here? Yeah, I started playing in bands really quick. And that's where I learned so much about so many different things. And I haven't had that experience in a long time now. I'm starting to get the itch to play again. Bands have been a huge part of my education and growing up. And that's the hard part, aside from COVID, because COVID threw a wrench in everybody's. You know, when guys like you, you've built this business around you and you have obligations for all these things. One thing that I talk about a lot with my students is building obligations, having goals. One day your goals are practicing this scale and practicing this technique. And then all of a sudden you get hired by a band. Now your goals are entirely different because next Thursday you got a gig and you got to learn all these songs and learn how to solo over them or what, you know, learn the harmonies or whether you're singing or whatever it might be. That's one thing I think people don't realize is it's not always easy to balance the workload of trying to become this guitar player that you want to be. And then life, we'll just call it that, all these other things, because back in the day when I was teaching a lot, people always say, man, you got the greatest job ever because all you do is play guitar all day. I'm sure you've heard that a million times. And you're not playing guitar all day. You're playing things to teach people, but you're not working on your own stuff. Yeah, I haven't had a personal guitar time for a long time. So true. It's so true with so many things. And then, you know, like kids come along and then you've got that obligation. 
which is great. It's awesome. But your guitar might suffer a little bit. But what I found, though, is that I think most of my technique and most of my ability was built when I was in my late teens, 20s. And then I stayed there, but it was enough for me to express myself. And it still is. And every once in a while, I have some peaks where I really have more time to dive deep into something. And then it flattens out. But I, and I've heard a lot from interviews from people I love that most of their technique, they built it in their 20s or something like that. And then they made a career out of it. And not that it's about the career, but it's enough to express yourself, at least for me. If that's the goal, if you want to express what you have inside, then great. You might not need to spend hundreds of hours to increase your beats per minute just a little bit. You're not going to express yourself better or maybe and if yes then do that well look at what you've done i mean look at some of the music that you have out there you have some really great music that's a whole nother level too isn't it when you're a kid it's all about technique at least it was for me and then all of a sudden you start realizing that songwriting isn't just about technique or phrasing isn't just about technique or melody isn't just about technique there's all these other things that you can learn as a musician or a guitar player or however you want to say it that aren't just about how fast you can move your fingers right I hope you're enjoying this episode so far and you're getting motivated to take your guitar playing to the next level. Please do me a favor and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It'll help the show grow and reach more rock stars like you who want to improve their guitar playing. Also, I'd love to know what parts of the episode you liked as well as what you learned. So please share this podcast and tag us at guitarzoom.com on your social post. And now, Let's get back to the podcast. Listening is such a big part too. I could say, well, I haven't really played my guitar for five years, really progressed, but I've listened to tons of stuff. And listening is not just music too. It's life experiences and things that affect you. And with experience, and if you have this openness about translating those things into musical stories, like you said, you don't need to sweep at 210 beats per minute to express how thankful you were for the birth of your child, if you want to put that in a song, right? So I was just thinking about that. It's interesting you bring it up. The other day, I was just thinking about a conversation I had with a guitar teacher when I was in my 20s. And at the time, I was really into technical records, Jason Becker, things like that. Super cool stuff. And I was really into that. And he was an older guy. He's probably not old, but in my mind, he was because I was a young kid. I think I was 17. And he's like, you know, it's cool, but it doesn't really touch me. I'd rather hear Mark Knopfler play a solo and that really speaks to me. In my mind, I didn't get it. I was like, well, yeah, that's cool. You're just an old guy. You can't play that stuff, therefore. But no, now I'm that guy. And I'm like, things that I thought were really important guitar-wise are not that important anymore to me. Do you think it's an age thing or an experience thing? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, I was the same way. What I think is interesting is you said early on in your musical journey, the stories were important to you. See, for me, I never listened to a lick of a lyric until I was about 35. I didn't even know there were lyrics to songs because I was so oblivious because all I was thinking about was guitar stuff. And so it's like this growth thing where you're trying to become this guitar player. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's this whole world of music. It's not just guitar. There's music happening that I had missed out because I was so focused on guitar, 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 guitar. And I meet people all the time that are like that. And that's okay. Listen, if that's what you want to do, there's nothing wrong. With it. But when I started realizing that songs could actually make you feel a way, like I never even thought about that. It was always just this guitar driven mindset. And it was really a great experience because then all of a sudden I started listening to players like you said, like Mark Knopfler, some of my favorite players like Annie Timmons or you know, whoever it might be, where when they play, like it's a story happening. It isn't just calisthenics, although they have the skills. That's what I listen to now. And that's the way I think about playing. I love to throw the fast stuff in there here and there, like an ebb and flow thing. But it's the other stuff that I just get blown away by. Yeah. And I don't know if it's an age thing or maturity. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't want to sound like all the fast stuff is bad. Not at all. I still really, really like some really super technical stuff. I think it's not like I'm dogging any of that because again, you and I had our time to practice those things. So it's easy to say that where somebody else that's learning how to play maybe doesn't have eight hours a day to practice, but they want to, to develop those skills. So don't get me wrong. I mean, I am very thankful I have those skills. I just, I'm just saying my setback was that I didn't experience music as music. I was so driven on. I remember this guy was telling you about with the Area Pro 2 guitar. I grew up in a trailer court and he and I, I remember we used to get together at his house. We'd lay on the floor. We'd turn these big speakers inward and we would just lay on the floor and, and just get pummeled by, by sound, right? 
And I remember sitting there listening to Ozzy Osbourne speak of the devil. And he looks at me and he goes, did you hear that bass line? And I remember looking at him going, why are you listening to the bass? The guitar players do it. You're right. You're supposed to be listening. And it was a big revelation, even as a little kid that, oh, there's other things going. Didn't really affect me that much. But I always remember thinking back at that. There's other things going on that you could actually be listening to. Yeah. I think one of the reasons is also that when I was a kid, when I was into that technical stuff, I had an image. I want to keep that image. And admitting that this Britney Spears song is cool was completely uncool. You never reveal that. And I think now it's allowing myself to be okay with what I like. And that's fine. Even if it's quote unquote uncool. I think there's part of that too that opened my appreciation for music too. Well, and it's hard to do that when you're a kid, right? It's already tough enough being a kid with all the clicks and things like that. But you're absolutely right. When I was a kid, it was Judas Priest and Ozzy and Iron Maiden. There's no way we would have been listening to Depeche Mode. Now I can go back and listen to that. It's all great. Again, I missed out. I'm like, oh man, I can go back and listen to all this stuff. And I'm listening to it from a different perspective. I told you that's totally true. I mean, I was the Iron Maiden guy, like Iron Maiden t-shirts with Eddie on it, long hair and Guns N' Roses and then Metallica, but like never anything outside of that. A clean guitar had no place in my conversations with other guys. Well, it's funny because I get into conversations with people. I mean, there's a million conversations we could have with this, but with guitar players and how the capo is this crutch because you don't really know how to play. Like I was that kid. And then you realize when you get older, well, okay, maybe it could be, but I think 99.9% of the people out there that are using a capo are not using it because they can't do other things. They're doing it because it's serving a, a particular purpose and tonality and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's funny. Okay, so let's go into this. So you're playing, you're doing band stuff, you won this Ibanez thing, you got your long hair, you're doing all this stuff. So when does it occur to you to start teaching and why? Did you need the money or did you feel an urge to teach or how did that come about? Yeah, well, I started almost immediately after starting guitar. It was during that Ibanez contest thing. I wanted to get a little better. I wanted to take lessons from this guy in France who was super good technically, knew how to sweep and all that. And in order to afford his lessons, I had to make money. And I taught my neighborhood kids how to play the few things I knew. And then I would take a lesson with the guy once I had enough money. And then I would reteach that to the kids in my neighborhood and then take another lesson. And that's how I discovered that I love teaching too. And you were about 17 at this time when you started teaching? Yeah, 16, 17, yeah. Okay. So once you started teaching, did it take off for you? No, it wasn't immediate. It was gradual. As my needs grew, I had to advertise more too, <laughs> as I was getting more independent from my parents. It's hard to talk about because it took so many years. I didn't have the mindset, okay, I'm going to make a career teaching guitar at the time. It was always there, but it really became serious once I, shortly before I got married is when I thought, okay, if we want kids, I need to do something about this money thing. And that's what sparked the idea of the online thing that we talked about earlier and all that. In the middle of there, I was teaching in schools and things like that, but it's not a one clear path in life, like yours, I'm sure. There's detours and things like that. But teaching has always been there for sure, though. And it really helped me in my playing, too. Yeah, no, I agree with that, for sure. Oftentimes, it would even be just the conversations that you'd be having with students about different things. And it is reciprocated. I mean, you're teaching them, but it's those discussions that you'd have about things, especially in the early days of teaching. Like for me, I started teaching when I was 17, because I grew up in a 200,000 people, I guess would be considered fairly small. And it just blew up. It just took off. And so once I got out of college, I could do that. I was doing it seven days a week. And actually, when I started playing in bands, I had to back down the students. You always try and like move things around. I don't want to cancel you. I'll move you to Monday morning at 630 in the morning. So you're always trying to move things around. And then it would just become chaos. I realized early on that as much as I love to play in bands and stuff like that, it's like my calling was talking about music, talking about guitar to, to people. So did you feel the same way? Did you have ideas in your mind that you were going to do the band thing and that was going to become successful? Not only financially, but like calling that you had. I think the early years, it was about the band and touring and all of that. And then a few years in, that's where I discovered that I really do like teaching a lot too. So that's when it became clear that it'd always be a part of my life too. While doing the band thing, I wanted to do both. And then I think I had to put the idea of touring and all that. I think I had to mourn that part. I auditioned for Neil Morse just before my kids were born because he was looking for a guitar player. And I made it to the auditions in Nashville. 
And that was, I think, a key moment because I thought, okay, this is my breakthrough. I'm going to tour the world. I'm going to do what I really wanted to. And I didn't get the job. Someone else got it. And that was a transitional point, which is kind of cool because shortly after we got our daughter and I got to be a dad and all that. So it was a blessing in disguise. But I think that was a transitional point. It's never the perfect time, but it always is in a way, right? But that's when I, I thought, well, maybe my calling in life is to help others just appreciate music and teach guitar. And it's actually pretty great because I love doing it too. And now in retrospect, I'm really glad I didn't get that part. I would have missed out on my kids growing up. And plus touring, the idea of touring that I had, I had a tiny, tiny taste of that over three days. But I realized, well, it's not what I thought. There's a lot of waiting around, a lot of setting up, and you're playing and it doesn't sound as good as you want. So it's okay. Maybe I could just take a few gigs when they come to me. And if they're good ones, then I'll enjoy the people, not worry about the next gig and teach. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, and there's a rough cycle with that because for anybody that playing in bands is amazing for a multitude of reasons. But when you start playing in a band and now part of your income is based on that band, let's be honest, you don't make a lot of money being in a band unless you are a corporate style band or you're staying up on the top songs every month. It's hard because most musicians, you struggle with what do they want to hear and what do I want to play? So you play a, a song that they want to hear, and then you play some obscure Rush song that nobody's ever heard, and then everybody sits down or leaves, right? So you're always battling this thing with, or, or you go the other direction and you go, I'm never playing a cover tune in my life. I'm only going to be an original band, and we're going to make it. And so you get on a bill with nine other bands, and you play for 20 minutes, and you don't even make gas money. And it's a tough way to live, and it's not that I'm saying a person shouldn't do it, but at some point... Like I always tell people, the day I started making money was the day I stopped playing bands. Now, it's not like I didn't play in some bands that didn't make some money, but it's so time consuming. Like when you drive six hours to a gig or whatever it might be, and now you're paying for hotel rooms or paying for gas or food or whatever. And yes, they might pay you for some of those things. I remember oftentimes we'd get to the gig and then the hotel, you're like, we're not even turning off the lights because the cockroaches are going to come out. You never know what it's going to be like. And it's not that I don't miss some of those experiences because I certainly do, but you're right. My oldest now is 21. I missed out on the first 12 years of her life. It's not like I never saw her, but I was never there for birthdays. I was never there for Halloween or New Year's Eve or dance recitals, or I was always gone. And so the biggest blessing I had, of course, is once Guitar Zoom started, I was then available for my youngest daughter and she's now 13 and I don't miss anything. I pick her up every single day from school. I don't miss a, a recital and things like that, but everybody doesn't always get those opportunities. And so again, very blessed to be doing what I'm doing right now. You grow up and I don't know if this is the same way for you, but certainly in this guitar niche, you, you never say no to things. They're always taking on everything. So did you feel that way too? Like at some point you were just going crazy? I did. Yeah, definitely. And then the saying no thing is, I think I'm better at it now, but yeah, it's so hard to say no, because any gig is, if you have that guitar player mentality, you cannot say no to a gig because it won't pay much, but it might lead to something else. That's it. It's the door, the opening of the door. That's right. And then every little bit counts. So it did drive me crazy for sure. Absolutely. For a long time. And I think I still have to battle that. Rookie, because now there's running the business. And I think when you're working with something you love, you're passionate about, there's always that danger to make it your God in a way. And that happened to me several times. And when that happens, that's never a good thing for your peace. And I'm able to put that thing in a box and, okay, I've got my job. I love doing it, but this is not my only thing. But it's always a danger to come back. Right. So in some ways, I remember when I was working jobs that I did not like, it was a bad experience. But after a seven, eight hour shift, I was done. I could leave it home. Now I love every bit of my job and it's hard to turn it off sometimes. You can't. I haven't had a good night's sleep and I'm not even exaggerating. Like out of a year, I might have 10 nights where I sleep really great. Otherwise, I can't sleep. I have restless leg syndrome and I can't shut my brain off and I'm always working. Every three hours you wake up and I won't go take any prescription drugs or anything like that. So I just mm -hmm. deal with it. But you're right. I mean, when you want to do the best you can for both your viewers or your customers or whatever you want to call them, 
and you want to do the best for you. You're always trying to figure out how you can do better. And it's hard because you're right. You can't shut that off. It's not like you get home at 530, you punch out, like your brain never stops thinking about how to do the next thing. It's crazy that way. You and I are working outside of home. You've got an office here. You're in your office. I see. I do too. I rent an office. Has that always been the case for you? No. Okay. When did you transition? Yeah. So again, ever since I was a kid, I worked at a music store. I started working there when I was 17 here in the Midwest. It's called Schmidt Music. Very popular music store. I started working there. I actually started working under the gentleman who sold me my first guitar. So he became like my second dad in a way where we just stayed in touch. And then I went in there. I graduated early and started college early. And I was looking for a job. And he's like, I went in there. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And he's like, oh, I'd love to hire you. So I started working there. So conveniently, there was a place to start teaching. He was the one that pushed me into teaching. He's like, I've been teaching this group guitar class and I don't want to do it anymore. I would love for you to teach. And that's where it all started for me was teaching that guitar class at Schmidt Music. So I always had a built-in place to teach until... I quit teaching there. And then I always worked from home. There was always kids coming in and out of my house. So the downstairs of our house was always, that's what it was. There was a bedroom and stuff too for my kids, but they would just scurry in and out while I was teaching. It was always that way. And then when I started working for Guitar Zoom, now the difference is when I first started working for Guitar Zoom, Denley, the guy that owns Guitar Zoom, I do not own Guitar Zoom, by the way, for anybody that keeps thinking that. I am blessed to work with Dan. So Dan hires me to start creating content for him. He wants a beginner's guitar course. He finds me on YouTube, wants to hire me. So at that time I'm teaching, I'm playing in bands. I was a Montessori teacher for 14 years. I was doing that. I was teaching at the college like you were. So I would get home and then I would film from 11 at night till six in the morning during those hours because there was no other time to teach or to do the filming. So it didn't help. It made things, I mean, I was even more busy and he is a Christian as I am as you are. He was very businesslike always. One day he's like, you know what? I'm concerned about your welfare. I'm concerned that you're going to have a heart attack because you just go in too hard. And he goes, I would love to hire you on a salary to work for me, but I don't know that I can afford it. We were three people, four people at that time. And not that we have a lot more now because we don't, but he's like, I would love to help you, but I don't know if I can afford it. And he goes, could you give me a number? So what I did was I summized all the things I had going and then I chopped off about 30% of that to try and get a number that I could give him. And I gave it to him and he's like, look, I can't afford it now, but I'm going to keep working on trying to make this work. And so Christmas that year, he's like, here's what I want to do. He goes, we might fail. We might not be able to do it, but I'm going to pay you what you said, but you have to promise me that you're going to start saying no. Like you just said, you're going to start saying no to things because I'm not going to hire you on. And then you go right back. So he said, you have to guarantee that you're going to work exclusively and not because of any weird thing, because I want you to get your life back. So I had to quit everything I was doing. You know, I was already moving out of the bands at that point because I had so many other things going on. And it was terrifying to call the college, to Montessori, all these other things I had, and I'm quitting everything. And I tell you, it was funny because then that January, that first week of January, I remember sitting in my house, and I tell this story all the time. I remember sitting in my house at the kitchen table. I was the only one home. I was experiencing silence. I had never done, like I had been going 300 miles an hour my entire life. And all of a sudden here I was just having time and I never went back. So now I make sure I have time for my wife or I have time for both my children or I have time for whatever, or we go out to eat or we go to a movie. We never did anything like that. And so- I will never give back. If this guitar zoom thing crumbled tomorrow, I would never go back to that. I would go get a job at Best Buy and we'd move into a whatever apartment we need to live in. I don't live frivolously. I don't own a big house or anything like that, but I would never go back to being consumed by the money or the struggle, the yearning for the next thing. I will never do that again. That's awesome. I had a very similar experience. I think it was about the time I met you, maybe two, three years ago. I was a really low place. I was very high from the world point of view, very successful with the business and all that. And all that success really got to my head and I didn't recognize myself anymore because I was obsessed with not trying to help people. I was obsessed with money and all those things like getting famous. And it's embarrassing to admit, but that's my sinful nature, right? I was there and I feel that God just took it away from one day to the next. And I had that time of silence, which looked like there's no more sales coming in. There's no more calls. There's nothing. 
But it was awesome because I realized what I was becoming. And I feel the last three years have been a period of growth in peace and experiencing that peace. And I totally get what you're saying about the business and going 300 miles an hour and sitting down in your kitchen and hearing silence. And anybody that's listening, I mean, it's important to understand that balance. That would not have happened when I was 25, but there was no reason for it to happen when I was 25 because I had the energy and I had the drive and I didn't have kids. And like you said before, you don't know your journey. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Never saying no to things, which I think when you're younger, you have to do that because I think that's the problem right now with a younger generation was you can't sit on your chair and wait for things to come to you because they will not come to you. They're not going to come to you. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care what it is that you think that you did. The only way you're going to make these things happen is you got to get off your butt and get out there and you got to try and start making things work. The only thing is, is when they are working, you have to find that fine line and being completely serious. When I say I was literally losing my mind because I was so busy with so many things and my world was crumbling on the other side, you know, my wife and dealing with both my children and trying to keep all of that thing going. And, you know, she would call and say, I've had a problem with whatever. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? I can't be there. There's nothing I can do. You're going to have to deal with it. Don't throw that on me. Well, somewhere in there, right, things were completely offset. And I kept thinking in my brain, I have no way out. I don't have an escape from this. And that, again, is a God thing for me where the guitar zoom thing happened and went, okay, here's how you get out. And yet retain your sanity and yet do what you love. It isn't about continuously trying to get better and be better and be more famous and be more popular and make more money. You have to at some point put a cap on all of that and go, my life isn't about any of those things. Like when I die, my life isn't about how much money I made or how popular people think I was or whatever, because you and I are both just regular dudes doing our thing. So there's a piece in that, in being able to give all that up and go, I'm very content just being Steve the dad, Steve the husband, right? Not always Steve the terrible words like influencer, like all those things. It's none of that stuff. So that's interesting. So when we talk about like with your playing, one thing that I think is really important is being motivated. When you go to grab your guitar, what are some of the gear that you need? Like you go, oh man, this is the guitar I have to have. I'd never give this up. A pedal or an amp or whatever it might be. Yeah, the guitar thing, I've never been the typical guitar player into gear, really. My main guitar right now is a Vola Oz, which is like a super stretch type of thing. I love it, and I've thought about that. Yes, it's a great guitar. It plays well. That's a must. But do I love it because it's the best guitar in the world? I love it because I've used it so much. And I'll go in phases. I've used this guitar for the last year or two. It's almost, that's my to-go guitar. So that becomes mine. At some point it was the Ibanez. Now it's not, but it's not because it's the worst guitar. So today I will say, yeah, I'll play my Vola Oz and then Axe FX 3. Why? Not because it's the best in the world. It probably is, but it's just convenient. It's what I use every day. I'm totally the same way, man. I mean, especially when you grow up poor, you never have gear. You only have whatever it was. And then if you grow up in a smaller town, you have even less because all of these other options aren't available to you because it's whatever the guitar store locally has. You know, now we have the internet and stuff. Back then, we didn't have any of that. So you grow up playing what you play. And I was on a podcast yesterday and the guy asked me, he goes, so what would be three guitars and three amps that you would suggest to any beginner guitar player? And I was like, I don't even know. I can't even answer that because I don't even know. I don't keep track of the market. I don't know who's coming out with what. The only thing I know is that guitars coming out in 2021 are far more playable, even when they're cheap, than they were in 1975, right? When the strings were this far away from the neck. You, you can't even find a guitar that's like that anymore from anything. Yeah, it's so true. But you would have asked me that question 30 years ago. I'd have said my Mad Axe guitar, Mad Axe 2, that's the one. And piece of crap, really. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm so the same way. I always tell people, like, if you walk into a guitar store and you find a guitar, like you pick up a guitar. I just picked up this Sir guitar. Nobody sells that around here, obviously, but it came in used at a local store. I picked it up and the neck was nothing like an Ibanez neck, yet was absolutely amazing. And that's where it starts and ends for me. I don't want a flying V or something like that. Like, that's not me. But the color is really not a big deal to me either way. But if that neck is really nice, like I haven't put it down since then. And of course, I got 
my usual EMGs put in there. So now it feels right and it sounds right. That's all I need. Yeah, that's it. It's something you've got to experience. There's not one guitar that is perfect for everyone. How does it make you feel? That's right. And there's so many different brands out there now. When you and I were growing up, you had Fender or Gibson or Ibanez, or you didn't have a lot of choice. I certainly didn't. I didn't either. Same. Well, I'm going to let you go here in just a little bit, but I want to ask you just a couple of questions here. So when you were younger, what were your main musical influences in terms of, I want to play guitar, I want to become a rock star? I think Satriani was a big one, massive one. Because I remember a few months after getting my first electric guitar, I was in my room just practicing and my mom called me, hey, come see this guy on TV. You know, there's an interview, a guitar player. And it was Satriani. There was this documentary, old documentary. And the way he talked about the guitar was really cool to me because what we called heavy metal at the time, a really hard rock, Iron Maiden and stuff like that. When I was a kid, I was terrified of drugs. And I was like, ah, oh, man, in order to be a rock star, I need to go through that because they all do. But Satch didn't talk like that. He talked like a regular guy who was really passionate about guitar. Resonated with that. And then I heard his music. And I think that's had a huge impact on my life as a guitar player. There were many, many others, but I remember that one. Okay. So if you had to name me, and we don't even need five, but just a couple of your favorite albums of all time. I usually do top five, but whatever you've got, when you go to it, when you need it, like for me, one would be The Wall by Pink Floyd. Absolutely crucial. What would be your five? Love of Overgold. So that one, hear it all the time, whenever I need it. I think Testimony, Neil Morse. Oh, nice. Because in it, he describes his journey as a Christian and spiritual journey and all that and going through life breakups and stuff like that. And that is my journey, very similar. So that one, and I'll name a third to make it good. Probably maybe Passion and Warfare because it's Passion and Warfare. You can always go with Passion and Surfing with the Alien. Like those two are always, always good. I agree. Yeah, there's so many. Ask me tomorrow, you'll have a different list. Were you ever a Malmsteen fan? Yeah, love what he does. His vibrato in particular, not necessarily the speed, but... His vibrato has always fascinated me. Right. Yeah, it's funny because it's like those three guys. For me, Ingve came to Fargo, where I live, when I was in high school. So I must have been 15, 16, something like that. And he opened for Quiet Riot. And I remember him running out on stage. I was in the front row. And he comes running out on stage and he does his leg thing where he's you know, the Richie Blackmore thing. That was a defining moment. I was like, I got to do this. This is amazing. Were you playing at the time? I was playing guitar, but my concept of what the guitar could do, I didn't play like that. I was Iron Maiden and, and Randy Rhodes and Judas Priest. That's what I knew. I didn't know the super widdly. I didn't know. And then he would always be playing this way. That blew me away. So right there, my brain went, oh my gosh, we got a whole new thing to study. And certainly I did. One last question for you. If you were not doing what you're doing right now, this whole music thing, what would you like to be doing as far as a business goes? Gosh, that's such a good question. Man, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a farmer, but not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're asking me now, not when I was a kid. I'll probably do something, maybe some kind of a board game cafe type thing, run that, and like with community, playing games and something along those lines. My wife and I have talked about how we'd love to do like a bed and breakfast or something. That'd be cool. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Well, hey, buddy, thank you so much for taking time. I know we've been on here for a little while and I sure do appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. We never do this, so we should do it again. It's nice. I tell you, if this whole COVID thing wasn't going on, I'd fly more. I just don't know. I never know how things are out there. And everybody talks about like Ubers and stuff are hard to get now. So I got to get out of the house. But thanks so much for having me, man. Absolutely. You take care and you have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Okay. You too. Bye, Steve. If you enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn guitar even faster, go to guitarzoom.com and click the get started button to get access to courses that are right for your interest and skill level. Again, go to guitarzoom.com and click the get started button. 